Welcome to Great Points, financial insights for improving your relationship with money. I'm Matt Schroeder, Certified Financial Planner and Director of Financial Planning at Great Point Wealth Advisors, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in Boston and Danvers, Massachusetts. Welcome. Today's guest is Lori Labrie from Integrated Human Resources. Lori, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to this uh, dialogue and conversation. Do you want to take a minute to introduce yourself so the listeners know who's on the line? Sure. Well, I'm Lori from Integrated Human Resources. We're an outsourced human resources firm. I've known you for quite a few years. And my goal today is really to talk through helping our team as human resources consultants with our clients' employees, with our what we call worksite employees, and what we're seeing out there. It's It's been interesting through COVID. I can imagine. And, you know, I thought it'd be great to have you on as a guest because you bring a unique perspective, both working with you know the hiring process with employees and representing employers and being a small business owner yourself, kind of seeing a lot of different facets and sides of, you know, people's, uh, you know, approaches to career and approaches to personal finance. So um, really looking forward to hearing the questions you've got for me today. So perfect. As, as we've coined this three questions with Matt, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for question number one. Excellent. So one of the changes I've seen over the years that I've been in human resources is we're having a, a more, it's more difficult to get our younger generations engaged in saving for their retirement. And, uh, you know, are there any things that, that you can, you know, guidance you can give us to help get our younger generations engaged in retirement planning and retirement saving? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess, you know, the advisor and me um, kind of when talking to the employer is always the first question is, well, what's the employer's motivation? Um, For some, they have a retirement plan that they're trying to fund. And if the younger employees or the most of the employees don't participate, then the boss can't participate as well. Um, So, you know, you kind of just trying to understand and others, they're just, they want their employees to be successful in life. So they want to make sure they get a good start and they know the, the, the impacts of, you know, continued saving. So mm-hmm. um, let's assume they're the latter and they have, um, uh, you know, an altruistic motive in this situation. Um, and, you know, so I guess, uh, you know, the first thing is always kind of education. So, yeah. you know, I've seen some new people or I've talked to some, you know, kids of clients and they've, they've joined a company and I'll mention, you know, are you starting in your 401k or have you done anything? And sometimes you'll get the answer like, ah, oh, you know what? I, I ran through the orientation. I kind of, I forgot it, or I, I don't know if we have one. Um, so, you know, usually when there's an onboarding process, you know, people get the packet and they're inundated with information and they're also excited about their new job. Sometimes the, they miss that page in the, in the process. So, you know, maybe kind of having a, a check-in 30, 60, 90 days in to see, hey, you know what, of our new hires, these three didn't sign up for the 401k or 403b and maybe just a system to send a reminder. Um, and, you know, I know, I know you don't want to be, you can't be too aggressive in asking them, but, you know, just a little subtle reminder saying, you know, if you're thinking about the 401k, here's, here's what it is and, and you know, how to get into it. Um, you know, from your perspective, do you find that most uh, younger uh, employees are aware of it and are choosing not to, or do you think it's more they just they kind of tune out. I think they're in some ways they're tuned out. You know, we've started using some auto enrollment plans and, and we're waiting to see the data on that to see if they're pulling themselves out. Mm. Um, But I do think that they just, it's just not on their radar. 
And yeah. time is of essence. So that the sooner we can get it on their radar and to help them take action, the better we're all going to be, you know, because they'll be better off, the company will be better off. So I think it's a good, you know, I think it's a great thing that we can focus on. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, not everyone's going to be at the same company forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes the, the mentality is, well, you know, this is I'm not planning on being this job for very long. So I don't want to bother with starting the retirement plan here. Right. I'll wait, I'll wait till my next job. Right. Um, and, you know, so I think another part of the educational process would be helping uh, younger employees or younger individuals understand that, you know what, um, moving, moving money from one plan to the next plan to the next plan isn't that difficult. You know, with online resources, a lot of it can be all done electronically. Um, so if you start a 401k at your first job and you're only there six months, uh, you don't lose that money. You can just roll it into the next plan. Um, and, you know, that's usually the best way to do it. So you don't get 10 years out and realize you've got seven or eight different 401k plans all over the place and you're not sure what they're invested in. And then all of a sudden it really becomes a, a labor of a process to get them all consolidated. So I do think that's something we could probably help educate people more on is that it is easy to take with them. It's just a form, either online or, you know, and most of it's online now, but they can move it from place to place to build yeah. it up over time. I guess my other advocate for on the employer side is make sure you're picking a plan that's easy to move. Um, right. some, some of them are, you know, annuity-based plans or, you know, directed mutual fund that are a little bit trickier. Their back office is uh, a little bit harder to work with, meaning they require paper signatures or notary signatures. And, you know, for a 23-year-old and that will never happen. I probably didn't really know what a notary was until my thirties, and <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, trying to tell them well, one, you have to be able to print, so you need a printer. Yeah. <laughs> Two, you have to find a notary, and it's just that it's all over from it there. It stops so, at that point. You're right; yeah, it has to be so easy to use. Picking a, a user-friendly plan is important, um, and then the final piece is, um, you know, understanding the difference between a Roth 401k versus a, role, mm-hmm. uh, a traditional 401k. So. I try to educate clients, you know, and or uh, kind of hopefully the information gets to their kids that if your kids are in the lowest income tax bracket or the earlier stages, they're probably making more later. Um, so you, you definitely want to participate. But if the company can offer a Roth 401k, okay. you get the forced savings, which is great. But if you ever needed that money, the principal you could access without penalty. So, you know, if I'm 23 and I'm starting to save and you, you tell me I can't touch this money till 59 and a half. I might be like, well, that's more than I've been alive already. So that's a long time. I'm not going to put any money into it. But if they understood the the Roth 401k component, they would still possibly get the employer match. They'd still get the systematic savings. And then, you know, kind of building up that rainy day fund that they could access before 59 and a half. Although, you know, as we both know, it's better to leave it. Um, But it's just nice knowing there is some flexibility there. That's true. That's an excellent point. All right. So that was, that was a good first question. Got me, got me going there. Um, what did, uh, how about, so your, your second question on the books? Sure. So, you know, we've seen a lot of transition since COVID and what I'm seeing is some very solid employees leaving the, the workforce because of COVID and you're making significant changes in their life. And I always wonder, and I think worry in some cases, you know, is that the right choice for them? And, and if that's going to be happening as a result of COVID, or I guess at any time, is there anything that we can do or is any education that people need to really think through that decision? Because I do believe some people are making it really quickly without planning. Others, I believe, are planning, you know, but is there anything that we as companies or HR consultants can do to assist employees before they decide 
to leave their profession, to help them in that transition, to help make it successful? That's a good question. Are you finding uh, that, you know, the people you've seen make these transitions, are they, you know, 55 and older and kind of getting maybe closer to the retirement age? Or are you finding, uh, you know, what, what age ranges are you seeing this or are you concerned about? It's, it's interesting. I, you know, I wear, I guess I worry personally more about people who are 55 and over making that transition to make sure they're doing it. So I have seen a lot of what I would consider early retirements, but then there's others who are just completely leaving professions because they just, they don't want to be them anymore. And that, and they're very well-paid, very stable positions that people are leaving. So I do get concerned. So it's all over the board. I think I worry more about people who are older, yeah. uh, but I have seen a full range. Yeah. So obviously the first question, you know, is, you know, is, do you have enough to make that decision? And for maybe someone who's nearing retirement, it's, do I have enough to bridge the gap until I can collect social security or, um, now that I'm, I might have to pay personal health insurance for a couple of years, can I afford to do that? Um, and, it, and if the answer is yes, you know, I, I have this conversation with clients all the time. It's that, you know, yes, if you're in your peak earning years, if you work one more year, yes, you will have more money. No doubt about it. You make more than you spend. So it's going to accumulate. You'll get a 401k match or maybe a pension contribution, whatever it may be. So you, you're going to have more money, but at what cost? So if there's a long commute, if there's a lot of stress involved, if there's other health issues or, um, you know, whatever it may be. So the one thing you can never get back is time. So as if you've done your work and you're hundred percent confident that if I work an extra year, I'll have more money, but it's more than I need based on my plans. It's a jump ball. If I love going to work, I'll keep going to work. If I get annoyed or I'm feeling burned out, I can comfortably step aside and walk away. Um, you know, so that's kind of the, you know, the person closest to retirement, um, you know, for someone who's maybe thinking about it as a sabbatical or a a hiatus or just changing industries, um, you know, they're just burned out and we see that a lot. And, you know, so in, in that, you know, do I have enough or can I afford it? Um, you know, one good exercise is, well, what if you're not, what if you don't start working immediately? So you, you give your notice and you're out. Do you have three months, six months of cash to kind of bridge the gap? Or do you have some liquid investments that you can access? So it's not going to be, you know, running up credit card debts or worried about not paying your mortgage. So, you know, so for some clients that know that that might be something they want to be prepared for, mm-hmm. they just start building up more liquidity in, in places they can access their money. They right. make sure they don't have a large 401k loan when they make this transition, right. all these types of things that just so they're, they're well, um, and they're probably not telling their HR manager a year yes. In either that's always right. the hard part too. So yes. yeah, um, and, and I don't want to force people out because we have a lot of great employees who have been separating where we can't fill those spots with the same level of employee or the same quality, and that's been tough. On you know being at the HR side is trying to get people into these positions, but I do you know I thought a lot about when these people walk out, like are they walking out to a to a solid situation? Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, the other part about can we afford it? One of the exercises I'll have clients do is say, okay, well, you're going to change industries. You're not going to make the same amount of money you were making. And, but as long as you make enough to cover your bills, no more savings, no more, you know, big bonuses, no more filling up the coffers. But, you know, if you're, say, 52 and you just, you're just tired and you want to work less, but you can't really retire yet, but, you could take everything you saved to this point and just let it grow from 52 to say 62 or 65. 
even though I can't add to my savings, I'm going to work to, to kind of cover my bills and give my savings 10 or 12 more years to continue to accumulate. If that number is enough 12, with 12 more years of growth to be comfortable, you know, that also helps, you know, helps them understand that, well, geez, if I'm making $150,000 a year, I don't have to find a job that pays $150,000 a year. If I find something that pays $70,000 a year, I'm in a lower tax bracket. I maybe I don't have to put into my 401k, you know, so all those types of things. So um, the other thing you may probably coach employers on this is if if a client comes to me and says, I'm just getting tired. uh, The first thing I encourage them to do is go to your boss and say, look, if I'm willing to stay three days a week, do you want me? Mm -hmm. And most employers, I know they don't want to have that conversation. Better than losing them. In but, a lot right, of cases, but they also don't want them just walking out with a two week. <laughs> right. Um, right. So, do you have any tips for somebody who wants to go talk to their boss, maybe about a modified schedule, but is afraid to? Part of it is just rehearsing it. And I always say, you know, rehearse it in a mirror before you do it because it's really uncomfortable to rehearse it in a mirror. Mm-hmm. And then you, because you put yourself in a place of discomfort, you, you sit down and do it. And it's a little bit easier in that regard, but it's never easy when you sit down and have that conversation, because there's always the fear that they're going to let you go right away. There's a trust that's broken. But I think you, if you've had a good working relationship, you just have to have the conversation and open it up. And depending on the type of person you're working for, you might adapt how you're saying it mm-hmm. to, certain, to a certain extent and think that through. But it's really important for you to have that conversation because delaying that conversation could burn you out. And I have seen people who have never returned from burnout. So it's really important if you're thinking about that and you're starting to get tired to take that break or to take, you know, to change your schedule, to do what you need to do. Because I can guarantee you for most of the times that we've seen people transition, bosses have been happier to take people for less time than to lose them and try to replace them. Mm -hmm. And it works out really well. And we've seen that at all levels of the organizations. Yeah. And I know from conversations with clients that have had that and done it successfully, the follow-up meeting is usually, okay, well, they're only paying you now for three days. Stop working five days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they wanted the flexibility. They don't know how to turn it off. So it's, right. uh, it's hard. Right. And sometimes it's a mental control. You know, we had someone who went to work just four and a half days, but mm-hmm. just having the ability to not work in an afternoon occasionally was a total mind shift. Yeah. And it was an amazing transition for an executive to do that. So and I like your idea of kind of practicing because, you know, even with retirement, I always tell clients it's going to take a year. Nothing's going to feel normal for about a year. Right. You're going to have to, right. you know, cash flow is different. Lifestyle is different. You know, getting, you know, filling your time is going to be different. But, you know, after about a year, people start to figure it out. So, yeah. Um, you know, working a little bit less or transitioning to that, you know, having is, is always a good is, can, yeah. can be a good decision for people if they've done their homework ahead of time. Yeah. And one tidbit on having the meeting is if you have a pad of paper in front of you and you type your agenda on, say, a, a document and you put it underneath the first page, when you put your hand down to write on that paper, technically a fake write, you can actually see the agenda. So if you know you have four points that you need to make, you can write all four points and you, you can just look down and take notes and just gather yourself for a minute, look at what the next item is, and just continue to go through what you need to go through because it can be emotional. Yeah. Both parties. So I think it's really important. And if you have your agenda and you can stick to those points that you practice, even though it never goes the way you practiced it, you can confidently get all your points across and not walk out and go, oh, I forgot something. Right. Got to cover this, you know, and that'll help going yeah. through. Those are really good points. Almost like carbon copy or yeah, exactly. very lightly a- in pencil so nobody else can see it. Exactly. 
Excellent. All right, Lori, we've reached the point where you're down to your last question. All right. All right. So what's so, on your mind for question number three? Yeah, we see a lot of owners and worksite employees completely stressed out over finances. And what I'm wondering is what type of educational resources can an employer provide employees to help them become financially independent? It's almost a topic that's never discussed in the workplace. Did you say employers are stressed employers, about? Employers, right. No, employee. And Well, we have owners, you know, company owners. Oh, okay, yeah. Stressed out and what we call worksite employees that are stressed out over finances. Mm-hmm. And we saw, you know, when COVID hit, and it's happened before that, COVID just exacerbated everything where people just didn't understand finances. They were under a lot more stress. And, and I really wish that we could get something in place where we could help people understand it prior to having some kind of issue. Like, is there something that employers can do to help their employees, be, you know, understand how to become financially independent? Yeah, you know, that's... Um... You know, a former company I used to work with had something called, you know, workplace planning or some some acronym that, you know, they used to kind of explain it. Um, you know, and the idea was you would get the company to sign a, an agreement with the advisor who would come in and maybe teach quarterly workshops or what have you. Um, but kind of the way it was let in was, you know, we'll, we'll let us in for free. And then if any employees want to hire us personally, so it was always that that fine line between education and a sales process. So mm-hmm. some of the employees, you know, didn't come because they didn't know how to say no to the sales pitch. Mm-hmm. And some came, but you know, you know, it was always hard trying to fit the formatting. Um, the other hard part about kind of seminars or workplaces is if you've got a 27-year-old sitting next to a 62-year-old sitting next to uh, you know a couple with no kids versus someone who's got four kids in college. Everyone needs different stuff. Right. So trying to fit an educational program while still also doing all the other jobs you mm-hmm. have in your work, it's mm-hmm. challenging. So um, I think with the use of technology and Zoom functions and you know, kind of on-demand trainings that are available out there, mm-hmm. you could probably build some form of library or resources that people could tap into or access. Right. Um, you know, and you know, you know, that's kind of one thought process. Um, the other is, are you trying to do this with zero budget or are you willing to invest a little bit in it? It depends on companies, right. And what they want to do for employees. But I think part of it is, you know, some do value that education out to their employees and they, there is a budget to potentially bring in education and others don't, but there's a need for it. And so as a human resources consultant, sometimes we're having to sell like the cost of the financial stress as, as it relates to profitability with the company and that there should be some budget put toward it to alleviate and, and actually, you know, help the company's bottom line in order yeah. to offset those costs. Yeah. If you're dealing with a bigger company and you, know, you see kind of their chief people officer and chief talent officer, you, you know, I guess bigger firms might be able to hire an in-house financial advisor who could just sit at a desk and answer questions for people. Um, but that's, that doesn't uh, apply to most companies. Um, one other idea might be um, if you offer tuition reimbursement for people that are continuing their education for work related. So yeah. if I'm in business and I get an MBA, the company will maybe offset some of those costs. Right. Could maybe offer like a tuition reimbursement for someone who takes a class in you know personal finance. Personal finance. It's interesting. Or That's a great point. Maybe a, 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 um, a reimbursement for financial planning advice if it's done mm-hmm. through advisor only. So right. 
not someone who's then going to sell them insurance and then going to sell them other things. But there are advisors out there that work strictly on a planning only fee only Mm -hmm. relationship um, that they're not selling a product or there's nothing behind it. So, um, you know, they, they, that might be another kind of, well, if I'm going to, instead of just, you know, paying for this person to come and teach everybody, the ones that are really want it, they seek it out and maybe I'll reimburse a portion of it after they've completed a course or an online tutorial or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's a good, that's excellent. An excellent point. Cause I do feel like as people are more financially stable, they're calmer, they're more productive and it's better for the businesses as a whole. Yeah. So no, those are great. Thank you for answering my questions. Not a problem. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously you, you, it, you know, everyone's talking about the, it's so hard to find people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if people are employed and working and, you know, there should be money to do all the things they want to financially, but it's not always that easy. Right. Um, so it's never a direct line. No, it's, it's never a straight line. Yeah. And, you know, we, we try to convince people to save a little bit more every time they get a raise, but sometimes there's more shinier object out there. Yeah. Than- <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's trying to help that delayed gratification so that it's great on the other end. So I have one last question for you, if you don't mind. Um, you know, we, a lot of clients are maybe transitioning or trying to, you know, working in the gig economy, so to speak, um, you know, kind of trying to put together a few different things, but also worried about their future and their savings and their flexibility. Um, any tips for somebody who's maybe not, isn't looking for a full-time role, but maybe is in that gig situation to kind of advocate for themselves or things they should be doing to protect themselves? From an, you know, as like kind of an, kind of almost like an employee relationship, even if they're in the gig economy or they're Yeah. So they're not really like an employee. They may not fit into the, the, the main system in the satellite, but they, you know, is there anything, any things you're advising people in that world to look out for or protect against? It's interesting because, you know, with, with COVID coming in, the gig economy exploded in a lot of ways. We have a lot more people in it. It's much more accepted. You know, the the lawsuits that have come out against Uber cl- clearly stated that they were independent. So I think that's opening up a lot of relationships that won't be employee relationships. It's great in certain ways. And one of the ways that it's not great is you are on your own at that point. You're not as part of a group of independent, you know, group of employees or kind of a collective bargaining unit of some of some sort. Um, so I think for for protecting, you know, for each individual person protecting themselves in that relationship, I think they really have to take a look at what they want from that relationship before, almost before they get into it. And most people will not speak up. They would rather leave or live in a situation that's not acceptable to them rather than speak up. And so what I think is really critical to protect yourself or anybody else who's in that situation is to get people in your life who will support you to have those conversations. So you can ask for more money. I mean, part, most of the reason why we have a pay, a pay discrepancy between male and female employees is because females generally don't ask for that raise. They would rather not have that conversation. So, so over time, that builds and builds and builds, and it creates an issue. So I think to protect, it's to understand what you value, what you need, and then if something is not coming your way, to have that conversation. And that it's much easier once you have it done. The, the thinking about it is actually worse than doing it. Yeah. And from what I've seen. So to have, you know, ask for what you need and don't accept less because there are other people out there who will give you what you need. If mm-hmm. you're a good employee, you show up, you do a good job and you provide a return on investment. They're looking for you. That's great. Excellent. Good advice. Well, Lori, uh, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I want to thank you for being our guest today. And um, this was thank great. You. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Great to be with you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Now, I hope you can apply some of what you heard today to improve your relationship with money. 
And thanks again for listening. Until next time, I'm Great Points with Matt Schroeder. Great Points is hosted by Matt Schroeder. Great Point Wealth Advisors is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Great Point Wealth Advisors does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through Great Points. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.